This is the Homebrew Game Club, a podcast about modern, brand new aftermarket video games for retro consoles. On this podcast, we pick one game a month to play and talk about. Today's game is Xeno Crisis for the Mega Drive and Genesis. My name is Nick, also known as Divertov, and joining me today are. Introduce yourselves. Oh. I'm sorry. I thought you were going to introduce us. Hi, this no. is Bart, also known as Clever, username needed. And Connor Nash, C-O-N-O-R-N-A-S-H on Twitter. All right. Going to do my uh, my spiel here. Before we get started, I'd like to remind everyone that on this podcast, we believe in honest opinions, but we also understand that many of these games are not made by professionals. They are labors of love. Also, as a note to our listeners, we are not game developers ourselves. We are just fans. So please keep that in mind as we offer up any criticisms of these games. All right, guys. I just want to say, before we get started, I I, I deliberately uh, picked a really hard-ass game. Just because when we did our Lizard episode, I could not stop thinking about how you guys just got your asses kicked by that game. And, you know, I said in the episode, okay, I will grant you it is a really hard game. You know, but then I went back and I played it again. I really don't think it's that hard. Like, it's a challenging game, but it is, like, Lizard is a puzzle, and the thing is, is that if you figure out the puzzle, the game's not that hard. You know, like, I went back and I did a live stream where I beat it in 30 minutes. You know, I only died, like, six times. You can figure out that game. And so, ever since that episode, I I have been like, man, I need to pick, like, a really goddamn hard game to kind of like why because i when because when we were talking you guys would we would talk about how well you know this game is really hard like lizard i wanted to reset that that bar oh so you're like, like i'll I, show you a fucking hard game exactly that was exactly Good my Lord. plan yes so oh yeah, my God. I, yeah mission i don't want to hear about how lizards hard anymore i wanted a game that would deliberately kick everyone's ass and i think i found it yeah you did <laughs> all right this is going to be a fun episode. Oh, dude. This. dude. Okay, uh, I tell you what, before we get before we get into the game, I, I have a couple of corrections, okay? Um, going back to our Space Raft episode, I, I talked about Nestmaker Games, all right? And I, I mentioned the games Flea and Tapeworm Disco Puzzle. Flea, in fact, was a Nestmaker game. Tapeworm was not. It was actually programmed in C. So uh, my apologies for that. Those are... Those are great games. They're they're actually just out on uh, Switch now. You can get them on the eShop, on the uh, Parasite Pack. The other correction I have, uh, our our Milwaukee recap episode. I I briefly mentioned getting to meet Memblers when we were in Milwaukee on for the uh, Midwest Gaming Classic, and I described Memblers as the guy who decoded the NES lockout chip. In fact, Memblers wrote me to say that he was he was not the guy who decoded the lockout chip. Okay, let me uh, let me just read what he wrote me here. Uh, Membler's writes, I was really more of a witness to it, the decoding of the lockout chip, online and in person. A lot of people were looking at it and hoping to figure it out. By looking at photos of the silicon die, uh, some of the credits for the break- breakthrough moments go to Atari and Tengen for making a clone of it. That's a very famous line of unlicensed NES cards from, from Atari uh, acting as the company Tengen on the NES. Loopy for discovering that Atari left us a way to simply read out a copy of their chip's program. Kevtris wrote a version for a modern 8-bit chip, validated that it works, and made support multiple lockout regions. Okay, 
Bunny Boy made new card shells, and the Lockout Chip clone was used in the NES Power Pack. So that's that's um, Retro USB's uh, version of the uh, the EverDrive, uh, among many other early NES releases. So uh, Mimbler says that even though he knew Kev- Kevtris I- uh, in real life, IRL, uh, back then he was selling Lockout Chip clones. Uh, he Mimbler's was designing Nintendo's chip on his new boards. And at that time, the only way to get a cart shell was to if you recycled like an old NES cart, okay? And the lockout chip usually comes with those. But yeah, <laughs> he did reach out to us and ask us to clarify that because he didn't want to, he didn't want to take credit for other people's work. So uh, very cool. Thank you, members, for reaching out to us and clarifying that. And I hope I uh, I hope I got all that straight. So also, thanks for listening. Heck yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we are going to talk about. Xeno Crisis. Guys, this is our first Genesis Mega Drive full episode game. We just talked about Diamond Thieves. That was a shorty. Uh, This is our first full episode on the Genesis. So let's briefly talk about what's your personal history with console because, you know, we talked about Game Boy on our Dead Dead AS episode. We talk about NES probably too much uh, all the time. But yeah, so so what about about the Genesis and or Mega Drive? What what do you guys? Uh, what's your history with this console? Well, I'll go first because I think mine's the shortest. Um, the only experience I have with the Genesis slash Mega Drive was playing Mortal Kombat One on the Genesis because the Super Nintendo did not have blood, and the Genesis had a blood code. So that's right. I went to my neighbor's house who had a Genesis and played that very little, not not too much, but um, that's literally I think my entire genesis experience is playing mortal Kombat. oh no no i take that back i played um altered beast i think like three or four times uh because they also had altered just happened to have altered beast which is one of my favorite arcade games of all time right and um i think that's it like i i don't think i actually played sonic outside of like the little demo in the video game store like once or twice um until until probably two years ago maybe wow uh oh wow the second genesis to me was poison i never touched it poison and i yeah it might as well have been because <laughs> you I were never... you were a true nintendo kid oh You're absolutely like, i cannot I, even be in the same room with that nasty thing yeah i don't even know what the master system looks like like i i never <laughs> it, seriously i don't i have when it comes to sega it's i it's it's in another world to me, except for the Dreamcast, which my neighbor had, and we played Marvel versus Capcom on. But that's like the only Sega anything that I ever messed with was the Dreamcast, um, other than you know the two or three times I played the Sega Genesis. So I have zero experience with the Sega Genesis because I am a Nintendo kid through and through. Now, Connor, you were a Game Gear guy. I was, yeah. Did you also have any experience with a Mega Drive? I didn't personally in terms of me owning it, but I did have quite a few friends who were into it. Um, the pull of Sonic the Hedgehog being just cooler than Mario was too strong for many of my peers. Mm. And while I still respect them for that, I think I was probably leaning more to the Nintendo side anyway. I think what Bart mentioned there just about Mortal Kombat, I think that's a, just a key thing about the Mega Drive in terms of the games that were there. Regardless of the quality, it always had this more adult feel right. than Nintendo, which was always trying to just babysit what games could get put out and, you know, make it just like one of my first games that I played on was actually Street Fighter. And even though people will, I think, believe that Street Fighter is better on 
the Super Nintendo technically for a couple of reasons. It feels to me more like a Mega Drive game. Like I knew Street Fighter 2 as being a Mega Drive game because the people who owned Mega Drives wanted to have games where they kicked the crap out of each other, right? That's the, that was right. the kind of like game that they were interested in. Um, whereas the Super Nintendo was for like, you know, Mario Paint or, you know, some other kind of cutesy game. <laughs> and then I kind of like, I played it a little bit with my friends and then kind of with emulation, I kind of came back to it and realized there was just so many games that were really, really, not only lots of fun, like Gunstar Heroes, but technically really impressive, like Vector Man. And when you see that they don't have the the same, you know, chips available to them that the Nintendo SNES had, or it isn't kind of known for great multiplayer games as much as the Super Nintendo, but like Gunstar Heroes is, I mean, it is it's really possibly a very good one game. of the most yeah. fun. It's a crazy good game. That's a lot of fun. Have you played a two-player? Yeah, you, you have, have to play, play two-player. Two player. It is just yeah. so you're, Yeah, if you're, if you're not um, playing that one two-player, I think you're missing a huge part of that game. You're missing a huge part. I mean, so it's like, it, to give, like if you've never played Gunstar Heroes, it's like side-scrolling, eight-way directional shooter, right? So like Contra. But you can like throw the other player. It's co-op, but you can like <laughs> I love that move. throw people right, yeah. into enemies. It's so much fun. It just never gets old. It's just like brash and really colorful. And I don't know. I think there's, there's things we can talk about that that comes into Xeno Crisis as well. But that's kind of my understanding of the console. And then kind of like it, the problem I have with the Mega Drive is that it kind of like it kind of merges a little too much into, you know, 32X Mega CD, this kind of weird right, thing where they try yeah. to extend the console as opposed to like actually releasing. It's too much like feature creep. Right. Yeah, and then by the time the Saturn came out, it's like it was just this morass of like Sega has a bunch of games on a bunch of different platforms, but there wasn't this really clear signal of like the Mega Drive like still continuing. It was like the Mega Drive was the last like strong console from Sega until honestly for me until Dreamcast. Well, then the Dreamcast is all another beast. Like the the fans of the Dreamcast and the, there are so the, it is so popular in the UK. It's huge. Like every Dreamcast like fan podcast I see, it comes out of the UK, it seems like. It's, I mean, I don't know, we won't go there, but like, sure, the, to me, there was pretty much a gap between like Mega Drive and Dreamcast. And I think Sega kind of lost its way. What, what was the kind of zeitgeist? Uh, because in the US, I would say it was, it was more aimed towards teenagers, but it did eventually capture about half the market from Nintendo. So it's when, you know, the height of the console wars, which is actually, there, there's a book about this called Console Wars, and it's a really great book. But it's this battle between Sega and Nintendo for dominance of the, the North American market. And it, it did eventually end up about 50-50 between Sega and, and the Super Nintendo, the, the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. Uh, would you say that it, uh, what what was your impression of kind of the, the market share over there, just, you know, without looking at any numbers? Without looking at any numbers, I, it, it was pr- I would say it was pretty similar, if, if not more so for the Mega Drive. And again, it's just like that kind of edgy cool kind of thing like right it's just like it's just really hard to put a finger on it but like that was around the time when people who were gamers were aging out from being teenagers into you know maybe actually earning some money on their own and right. kind of having their own ideas about music and things like that and i don't think nintendo felt like the kind of gaming experience that they were looking for at that time and i think it really led to really Nintendo having to reevaluate what kind of games it makes and how it kind of markets itself and who it considers its competition. And I think you can see the repercussions of that with things like the PlayStation, where originally that was a 
you know, cooperative effort between Nintendo and Sony and Sony ended up taking right. it themselves. So like, I think, I think Nintendo kind of decided very clearly from its experience with Sega, what it's good at and, and to double down on that. And unfortunately I think Sega didn't necessarily know how to keep that market or, or, you know, kind of stay relevant to those people right. when there was competition from someone like Sony. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Nintendo does, it, it still kind of owns that market. Like, it's still right there. It has the, you know, it's like if you're going to get a console for your kids, what are you going to buy? You're going to buy them a Switch. Totally. Whereas, like, Sega is, you know, I mean, they have cool games, but, like, their IP stretches from kiddie stuff all the way to, like, you know, like Mortal Kombat in terms of how people sure. can associate with the console. Yeah, well, I can say, so personally, I, I was a Nintendo guy, like Bart, and um, I had a good friend who who had a Sega Genesis growing up, and so we... We kind of like secretly coveted each other's games, you know, like I, the, my, the thing about the, the Sega was that it was always for kids who were a little bit older than me. You know, it felt like a, it felt like a console for teenagers, whereas, you know, the NES and, and later the Super Nintendo had been kind of cast by Sega and, you know, by their own actions is, is more of like a kiddie console, which because I was younger, that was fine with me. I looked at the Sega stuff and I, it's like, okay, you can play Mortal Kombat with blood, but it's like, I didn't like Mortal Kombat anyway, you know? And, and some of the other games, I, I mean, like I played Toe Jam and Earl, you know, and it's like, this is weird. I can't understand this game. I don't know what the hell is going on here. And it was like cool stuff that, you know, like their version of Jurassic Park, right? Is crazy. Cause you can be the Raptor, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. But it was still, it was like, it, it, it always had like a more edgy kind of grown up feel that you're talking about. And, uh, and, and just as a, as a young child that didn't appeal to me. Now, as we got older at some point in the, I guess the mid nineties, one of my friends and I traded consoles, my super Nintendo disappeared and I ended up with his Sega Genesis. And I don't even know, I don't even remember this happening, but it ended up, uh, I did find the damn thing in my mom's attic like six months ago. And since then, I, I got an EverDrive, and I've, like, my my thoughts towards the Genesis have really changed over the last few years. I never really liked it that much, but I've, I've it has started to really grow on me, especially seeing Homebrew and how people seem to be so much more enthusiastic about it right now. Like, there's no Super Nintendo Homebrew scene right now. It just, it it barely exists. Whereas Mega Drive has some like amazing stuff coming out. I, I think this game included, there just seems to be a lot more passion behind the console. And that that really got me curious to dig more into the systems library. And over the last couple of years, I have really got a, a newfound appreciation for for those games. And uh and things like the sound chip and the the kind of the crazy stuff that people do with it and uh how it has its own distinctive style. You know, you know immediately when you're listening to it a soundtrack from a, a Genesis or a Mega Drive game. That's kind of how I ended up with uh, my interest in Xeno Crisis, which we're going to talk about today. Uh, so before we before we jump into the uh, to Xeno Crisis here, I do just want to say, so I, I don't want to like cast myself as uh, very knowledgeable about Mega Drive or Genesis Homebrew. My impression of the scene is that it's there's there's a lot of people doing some really fantastic development especially in Europe and South America. So we talked about Diamond Thieves on our last mini episode, which came out of Brazil. I'm, uh, uh, this game is uh, is out of the UK, and that seems to be where most of the development is taking place. I have not seen a lot of North American-based Genesis development, but uh, it, maybe it's out there. If it is out there, please let me know. 
and uh, and we'll uh, be sure to talk about it on an upcoming episode. But this is definitely a scene that I'm looking forward to getting more familiar with as time goes on. So uh, Xeno Crisis, developed by Bitmap Bureau. Who are these guys? They are a small indie development team out of the UK. Their latest release, which just came out a couple weeks ago as, as we're recording, was in June of 2022. It's called Final Vendetta. It's a retro-style beat-em-up, very heavily inspired by something like Streets of Rage. Uh, but it is, not a, it is not a retro game. It is retro-style. It is a modern indie game that is retro-style. Okay. So the history of Xeno Crisis. This one was on Kickstarter. It raised 72,569 pounds in January of 2018. Where can you get it? You can get this game like everywhere. You can get this on, on Genesis and Mega Drive. Obviously, you can. they have a cart. They have a really nice complete in-box copy that you can get from uh, Bitmap Bureau website. You can get it on PC through Steam. Uh, you can get it on Switch, PlayStation, Xbox. You can get it on Dreamcast, Neo Geo, and the Evercade, if you're into that. So, guys, tell me. Mm. Tell me about this game. Describe Xeno Crisis. So this is a top-down twin-stick shooter, right? Yeah. So in the vein of Robotron and all of the games that it spawned in that genre. To take it back to your exact question of like, if you describe this to somebody who's never played a game before, you are swarmed from every direction yes. by aliens, effectively, for periods of two to three minutes at a time until the screen is cleared. And then you go into another screen and that happens. Now these are, these are single screen. You're going screen to screen. Okay. So you're not, there's no scrolling involved unless until you go from screen to screen, but it is think smash TV. Yes. If you've ever played smash TV, this game has a very similar format, right? So it's a, it's a single screen game where you you're yes, you're swarmed by enemies coming out of the doors and it is your your job to eliminate every enemy who comes into the room until it is completely clear, yes. and then you can go to the next room, right? Right. And we can get into the methods by which you clear these enemies. Right, right, right. Well, not yeah. We'll get to that like, later. But yeah, right. We're just kind of describing the basic gameplay. So if I'm going to describe yeah. that compared to Robotron, okay. Let's say you start a game of Robotron and you spawn in. And you see every enemy is on the board, and you know exactly what you have to kill and where right. they're at. Okay. With this one, it's different because they keep coming out of the entrances on the side, so you right. don't really know how much longer you have to survive. You know what I right. mean? Right. Well, that's like Smash TV, though. They just keep yeah. coming out of the doors, you know, until they stop, and then the little light comes on, and you go. So I would say one one difference between this and a game like Smash TV is it does have a procedural generation element. So every level is procedurally generated. Whereas with Smash TV, when you play it enough times, you kind of know the, the a different route you can take to get to, you know, there are secret rooms in Smash TV, there are bonus rooms, and you you kind of, I know when I play Smash TV, which is another game I really like, uh, I, I have my favorite route through every level, you know, which I, I determined by playing the game for many hours and decided this is the way I want to go with it. Uh, you don't have that here. Right. Every every time that you get through the level, you do have different goals. Like you might have in some levels, you need to find a key card. So you might go through different paths until you find the right key card. There's one level where you have to pick up three crystals before you can get to the the final boss. Uh, 
And the layout of where those crystals are changes every time you start a new game. It changes every time, yeah. Or, or there's another stage where there's several key cards, you know, and it's always, you, you, you never know where you're going to go next or exactly what combination of en- enemies you're going to face. Right. It's generally the same, but it's it's always randomized. And, you know, that's the thing that playing the game, I, I felt like it wasn't that big of a, a part of the, the game experience until I started to play the game a lot. And when I you know, started to compare that style of gameplay to something like Smash TV. I do think it has a big impact and a very, it's very subtle, but it has a very, uh, I guess the way you approach the game, you know, it really does affect kind of your, your strategy for taking on the game, uh, you know, and maybe I need to play it more. So let me just, how much did you guys play this game? Cause I put, I can say, I think so. I started playing this game like back in like February or something like that because I knew I wanted to play it for the podcast and I, I wanted to try it out and I, I wanted to see how long it would take us to kind of get decent at the game. I started playing this game back in February. I think over the last several months, I have put in I, at least twenty hours into the game. Yep, at least I would say I've put in probably about eight myself. Eight. Okay, so a decent amount. I'm yeah. in that that neighborhood, six to eight. Are you okay? Yeah, I, I did play it a lot. I didn't get very far, and I was just kind of rage quit at one point. Here is my crucial observation about my own gameplay. I would have done those eight, maybe ten hours in two-hour stints and right. then not played for maybe a week. And okay. that is probably something that is a that is not the optimal way to play this game. It's probably better to maybe play it for an hour every day. That's what I did. And continually right. get better at the game. Because what would happen is I would get actually pretty okay with myself playing the game at the end of this two hours. I would like f- be frustrated, but like, okay, I kind of get it. And then I'd come back and play it like seven days later, and I would be completely all the muscle memories gone. And that was really frustrating. I felt like every time I turned the game on, it was like basically playing it, having never played it before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can say I took it like a, like cardio exercise or something. Like I, I decided that I was going to take this on and I wanted to play it at least for 30 minutes a day. And so that's what I did for like a month. And I, you know, I would just sit down and I would play it one run, put it down, walk away and just, just see how far I could get or, or just like test, just try something a little bit new one run I did. So <laughs> we, we gotta, we gotta describe the game. So yeah, you're mostly shooting, right? you you have a gun and it has unlimited, no, it does not. It was almost said it had unlimited ammo. It very importantly does not have unlimited ammo. The ammo runs out and you have to, a, a box will spawn somewhere on the screen randomly and you have got to go pick it up. You have a roll. There are certain attacks that the roll is invincible to. So you can, you can roll through. Roll is, roll is a maneuver where you accelerate your direct, your speed in one direction for a brief moment and it makes you partially invulnerable. Partially invulnerable. So you, you're not immune, you're not invulnerable to like bullets, but you are to like, you can roll through aliens without getting hurt. Right. Okay. Some of the aliens, other aliens, you will bounce through them if you try to roll. Uh, And part of the game is learning what you can do around different types of enemies. There are dog tags that are dropped that you can use at the end of every level to power up. So there's like a level up screen and you can, you can increase different stats. You have, like your your gun power, your speed, the your ammo capacity, your health. You can buy a gas mask because on a couple levels uh, you have enemies that shoot these uh, bombs that that leave behind green smoke 
Uh, it's poisonous and it will hurt you. And you can also buy uh, grenades, more grenades, grenade power, and you can um, you can buy new continues if you want to do that. They're very expensive. There are as you're playing, you also occasionally find a a new weapon drop, so it's a, a different type of gun than your stock gun. Those have unlimited ammo, but they're timed, so you only have like 20 seconds that you can use those. Some of the guns are like uh, laser, which I think is it's my favorite one. It's very powerful, and it shoots in a straight line. You have like a rebound shot that uh, it's not super powerful, but it does b- bounce off walls, things like that. You have a BFG, which is like, you know, uh, it's a video game trope at this point. It was like the Doom, the the big fucking gun, right? right. I, I hate the BFG in this game. I think it's completely useless. Uh, every time I pick it up, I just immediately drop it. Because you have to do like this recharge thing, right? You have to like <laughs> charge it. So. it. It will go through. It'll go through every enemy on the screen, but it is just a in a straight line. But it is just a, it, it takes so long to charge; it's almost useless. You also have grenades. Uh, the grenades are kind of hard to use. I only use them on bosses. You you throw them and they they do a lot of damage, but uh, you only can carry so many of them. Let's see what else. Yeah, you. Ha- so your other attack is a melee attack. So if you run out of bullets. You have a melee button, or you can just walk directly through enemies, and and you will slash them. and uh, And it is a very powerful attack, and it will one hit kill almost. Well, I think it'll one hit kill every enemy in the game except a boss. But it's very touchy. Okay, so you you know you have to think you're on an eight way directional axis with this game. So you you have to walk directly through the enemy on one of those axes. Or it will hurt you. So it's 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 a very uh, it's a very tricky thing to learn how to use. And there's a little cooldown period after you walk through and you stab somebody. You you can't just immediately walk through the next enemy. You have to like there's a little split second cooldown where you, you know you kind of have to charge up your slash again. But but I see you shaking your head, and I'm just like, I think I think what's relevant here is we've spent like just five minutes explaining all of the ways that you can actually attack. And you know, navigate the, the levels. Yes, and that still doesn't capture all of the work that you have to do to complete these levels. Like it is tough. Like to your point about Lizard, like in Lizard, you jump around and you touch things, or you sometimes like figure certain puzzles out. But like this control system is. I think deceptively like, Oh, it's on a mega drive. There's only three buttons. How hard could it be? Like, this is a really difficult kind of structure of gameplay to really get good at because all of the things you've just mentioned have really kind of tight little subtle interactions. Like the melee, you know, you can kind of like use it once, but then it's, it's touchy. Like you said, and then there's like, different weapons that you're trying to you know reload or recharge or maybe drop and then like maybe you have to use a grenade and then on top of all of that there's a two-player co-op and so (laughs) right i forgot to mention that right is so key to i think you know my first experience of this game like i first played this game two-player co-op with you guys together and then we went and decided okay we'll, we'll play this game individually and get good at it and whatever and it is so much tougher by yourself. <laughs> you don't have anybody to carry you. It is so rough to just continually be like ground into the dirt by these aliens when you are just like randomly thrown into rooms, not really knowing exactly the pattern of attack. And like 
you have like maybe five like hearts, like which are equivalent to getting touched by anything on the screen. And so right, your health, right? You you lose one of those, and health is really hard to come by in this game. So yeah, it's it's a random item drop, and you don't yeah. get, so you don't get them very often, you know. Yeah, and when you get them, they they might be in a place that is very hard to get to, and so you lose another health trying to get to it. Right, and that double losing of health has caused me so much frustration. Like I cannot even begin to tell you, Bart. I see you there. Like uh, you talk about frustration. This this game for me was just a, a ladder stair step of frustrations. Getting one frustration, dealing with that, and then another one hits you in the face, and you deal with that, and you're on another and another and another. It was like <laughs> when I first played it on the, the Mega Drive at your house using the Genesis controller. I was like, I suck at this game because this I hate this controller, right? Because you've got the D-pad as movement and then four of the six buttons as your directional shooting. Is that that's correct? That is correct. Yeah, and I do want to talk about the controls here yeah. uh, for a minute. Because I, I, I think this is massively important to to experiencing the game. So, ha, like, what console, What did you? how did you guys play the game? Like, what did you play I, it on? I played it on an emulator. Okay. And I played it with an... Uh, SN Do 30 Pro Plus. Uh, 8-bit, 8-bit, 8-bit Do, 8-bit Do, 8-bit Do, 8-bit Do, SN 30 Pro Plus. Plus, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. I only know that from the rap. You can edit that, like that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, Bart, how did you play the game? Oh, on the PS5. PS5. Um, yeah, because I figured... It's a twin stick shooter. I should have two sticks, right? Um, but to refresh my memory about Smash TV. Are there grenades and like melee moves and other buttons that you have to pu- push, or is it a true twin stick? I don't it? believe there. No, it is. It is just twin stick. You just have the gun. You have different weapons, sure. But uh, yeah, you only have the gun. You do not have like a roll or a melee or um, grenades. Well, I guess game. I'm. If you're playing Smash TV, do you have to take your thumbs off the stick to hit another button at any point? I do not believe so. No. I, I feel like that's that's what the detriment to me was. I feel like a twin stick shooter, you put your thumbs on the sticks, and you that's that's the whole control scheme. But then again, that's that's Robotron. I'm, I've got a real I got a real soft spot in my heart for that thing, and it's it's almost perfect. And with this, it's just like so many other things that you have to do that I was just, I never was able to get good at. Well, and I will say, so like on a modern control, so I played it on switch and I played it, uh, emulated. I have, I like, I have a Genesis. I tried it on the, the three button and the six button controller on an actual Genesis. So the experience of playing the game is very different depending on the controller that you're using. So Playing on a Switch feels like a very... It feels like a modern indie console game. An indie retro-style game. Like, you can use the the shoulder buttons to roll and throw grenades in the melee. And so you don't, you don't have to take your thumbs off the sticks if you're using a modern controller because you can key everything to the shoulder buttons, right? So, like, roll is, like, your one of your trigger buttons. Grenade is the other trigger. You got to... Your gun discard is is a shoulder button. You know, things like that. On the Genesis is a different story. So the Genesis, you can play this game with a three-button controller. You can do it. Don't. Don't do that. 
Don't do that to yourself. The game is hard enough. I bet there are people out there who have like committed to getting great at this game on a three button controller and who can actually just like smoke it. But man, those people are uh, serious masochists. I don't know, man. <laughs> like the the ideal way to play this game on a Genesis is to use the six button controller. You know, even then, it's like I I never did quite figure out how to what the item discard. So, like, if I get a BFG, I told you I just drop it. In the heat of playing, I never remember what button it is to drop a weapon, and like, so I'm like, I just randomly press buttons and like throw grenades until I drop my weapon. <laughs> <laughs> even now, so, but yeah, it is actually really frustrating to have to. You know, when you're so you use the four face buttons uh, as as shooting in eight directions, that's OK. I can do that even with the weird nubbin buttons on the Genesis six button controller. It, it's OK. I got to where I, I felt good doing it. What I I still I got used to it, but I never liked it was you have to like slide your hand a little bit to hit the extra two buttons off to the side to roll and to do grenades. And the rolling is such a key part of the game to always have to like slide my hand over like that and hit that button and then move it back to the the firing buttons it really takes a lot of practice to get good at it and what's funny is i played on the genesis for probably like 5 hours straight i got to where i was so used to playing it with that 6 button controller when i went back to the switch it felt weird because right. like using the shoulder buttons to roll and stuff, it's like, well, that's now I, you know, I felt like my hand wanted to move and hit those side buttons. You know, it's just like it was very, a very strange kind of thing. So maybe your brain does adapt to it. I don't know. But it's it, I never quite got used to having those two buttons off to the side where you have to move your hand off the firing buttons. OK, so we've we've talked a lot about the difficulty of the game. Uh, Bart, you've clearly very frustrated with it. What's good about this game? Let's talk about some of the stuff about this game that's that's really good because there there are things that this game does that are fantastic. Let's let's talk about some of that. Dude, the first time I walked into a boss room and saw that first boss that is just like this nasty blob covering more than half of the screen and right. that gorgeous pixel art. It was fucking amazing. Like the way this game looks is gorgeous. I I love the way the game looks and I love the way it feels. The, the look and the sound together, I guess, is a kind yes. of the feel for me. The music is a, amazing and the way Oh my god, the music. Oh, dude. Well, here, that's, that that needs a conversation here. <laughs> pausing on the music for a second. I just want to like piggyback off that comment about the graphics. I mean, so many of the things about this game I'm going to say are really really good because there's clearly a huge amount of effort put into this game, but the graphics are so detailed and so just like so much care has been put into so much of it. I'm honestly skeptical and I'm actually happy for somebody to like have this out with me over Twitter or whatever. I don't even know if you could have made this in the back in the day for the Mega Drive for the Genesis. Huh? I don't know about that. I would say I would definitely wonder about that with the music though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with Bart. Like when you see that first boss, like any, Anytime I see a promo image of this game, it it tends to feature that first boss. It is just a giant, like, throbbing mound of flesh with a big eyeball, and it's got, you know, uh, looks like big claws sticking out of it. And it yeah. it I mean, is it gives John Carpenter thing vibes. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And it takes up half the screen. It's just it's massive, you know, and it is so cool. And the eyeball follows you. 
Yeah, the eyeball follows you around the room. So creepy. Yes. So creepy. It's great. I mean, imagine, I always try with these with these homebrew games to put myself in the mind of a kid from way back in the day. Imagine going over to your friend's house and seeing this game. How could you go back to a Super Nintendo after seeing this? It would be <laughs> unbelievable. You know, like, right? there's just, it looks amazing. I feel I, like I mean, back absolutely. in the day, this would have been like the number one earner in the arcade. No shit. Yeah. Oh my God. I would have thrown so fucking much money at this game. Ugh. Yeah. House of the Dead. I mean, go home. See you later. This would have yeah, right. all my quarters. Yeah. Let's talk about the music here. So the the music, you can find it as a free download. We I put the link in our Discord, but a bit, uh, I, I got it off their uh, the uh, Bitmap Bureau Twitter account. Uh, they've got a free download of this soundtrack, and it is fucking phenomenal. Like, what blows my mind about this homebrew, these aftermarket games, is when they are able to do something with the console that no one ever did back in the day, you know, that just completely exceeds anything that anybody was doing with, with the licensed era, with licensed games, and, and just completely blows it out of the water. And I think the music absolutely qualifies here. Like, when I was listening to this on the Switch, and I was listening to the soundtrack, you know, like on my, like in my car stereo when I'm like driving around, I'm just like, I cannot, this does not sound like a Genesis game. This is too good, you know? And then I... I pop the ROM into my EverDrive and I stick it in the Genesis and I plug in the headphones and I'm like, holy shit, how is this console making this sound? It's unbelievable to me what they were able to do with the music here. Am I wrong? The soundtrack is exceptional. Just on a musical level, that first song that you hear when you like the, the helicopter lands and it's these kind of like, you know, kind of like noises of like sound effects and like that guitar riff just opens up like just like oh yeah yeah the opening right right. In my head. <laughs> it is an exceptional song forgetting the instrumentation or whatever it's stuck in my head forever then you think about i mean i'm not as familiar with the technology of it but it's a yamaha sound chip that mega drive uses and he uses this technique called fm synthesis which is you know depending on who you talk to arguably more difficult to get a good sound out of, right? Um, and especially in whatever it was, 1992 or 93, when people were making these games and maybe didn't have a lot of experience with FM synthesis. So now it's a very well-known method for generating sound samples and things like this. And it's very, very, you know, well explored. So I think there's a lot more knowledge in the field of synths, of how to kind of get the most out of this. But this is like literally a Yamaha sound chip. Like Yamaha made so many kind of synths in the 80s and things like this that were so signature. So it doesn't surprise me hugely that they could get that sound out of it. But at the same time, I know there was a lot of work that was needed. And then finally, the music suits the game. I talk about yeah, this like right. almost all the time. I'm like, sometimes you can have a really, really great soundtrack, but it actually distracts you or otherwise doesn't really go with the game. When you are being ground into the dirt, I know you don't want to go back <laughs> to the difficulty, but like when it is a very tough game and it's a very action-packed game and you need to keep moving forward, it is key that there is something in the game that pushes you to do that. There is right. no character development. There is no clear, like, you know, 
progression. I mean, yeah, there's like power ups you can get and you can pick up more dog tags, whatever. But like the only thing that's really pushing you in this game is the music. And it does the job really well. Like you that's do, true. you feel right. when you're playing that game, you cannot stand still. The music just pushes you forward at every level. And I'm but at the same time, at the same time, you don't, it's not showcased. Like, you know, I, I'll get into a rhythm with the game and I won't even hear the music. You know, it's like, I, it's, it's there yeah. and it's clearly like setting the feel of a, of a level. You know, you've got some levels are, are have a real like creepy feel to them, but like, I never really think about the music while I'm playing the game, you know, because I get in that zone. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird because it's, it's phenomenal music, but it's, it's not like it doesn't take over. It doesn't steal the show. Right. Yeah. Completely agree with that. And and then that extends down to even the smaller things then like the sounds of bullets firing or explosions or death sequences. All of those things, like when you hear them like literally thousands, tens of thousands of times, it's very easy for them to grade, you know, grade on you. But they don't. They all kind of are really well thought through. And they're they're satisfying. Feel satisfying. Like when you shoot yeah, yeah, something, yeah. You it, it's really a satisfying sound. Yeah, and you know it's, that that was the next thing I was going to say was, um, again, I'm going to go back to Robotron because that's like the grandfather of all of this. When you play Robotron, it's your touchstone though, right. it really is. But when you play that in the arcade and you fire the the noise of the gun and the sound of it hit is is so satisfying, and then. I did this thing where I watched like a comparison of like all the Robotron ports <laughs> where it's like, this is what it looked like on the 7,800. This is what it looked like <laughs> on here. And this is what it's, and I was more interested in what it sounded like because really, huh? none of, none of them really got it right. Uh, some came close, but for the most part, uh, you know, the arcade is its own standalone thing, except for that, that PlayStation two disc that has like the actual arcade port on it. That's, that's pretty legit. But um, as far as, you know, even playing it on the 7800, I do like playing it, but it's not the same because it doesn't have that satisfying sh- sound when you shoot. And that's the one thing that this game has in spades yes. is when you're shooting, right. it is so satisfying to hear the gun shoot and also so satisfying to hear the enemies splat and explode. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, because it's just like they piss you off so much because they just keep coming and they keep coming. And also... I think that might be part of the difficulty for me because I love the sound of the bullets so much that I would fire when I wouldn't need to fire. (laughs) So I would run out of bullets. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Another another one, like the rocket launcher, is a very satisfying. Because when you pick it up, it's like it's so powerful. Uh, You know, it just has this like thud, thud, thud. And the enemy is just evaporate when you hit them with it it's yeah that's another good one but yeah the stock gun has a very good feel to it a very good sound you know mm-hmm. and uh you're talking about the splats so when i was kind of trying to get better at the game i would try to play the game in different ways and so one one thing i would do is i i did several runs of the game where i didn't fire my gun at all and i was just like let's see how far i can get in the game just doing melee attacks you know and i would just run through enemies and it, it was very stressful at first, but then it got to where I realized there are some enemies that are much easier to beat with a melee attack. And and so, like, one of them is on stage three. In stage three, you have these uh, blob enemies, and they they just jump around, right? They they mostly just, like, muck up the space. There's just so many of them there, they, they make it hard to move around, right? And 
you can shoot them, but you'll empty like half your damn clip into them because they, they're bullet sponges. But one thing you can also do is just walk through them and melee kill them. And they have this wonderful like splat sound when you do that. And it has it's so satisfying to just walk through like a whole line of those things. It's like it just one after the other. And it's all it's all audio. You're just hearing it happen. And you can it's funny because like this game doesn't have like controller vibration, but it, it almost feels like it, it you don't need it. You know, like just just the visuals and the audio working together. Like you you that's enough that you can kind of feel it without actually literally feeling it. You know what I mean? I agree with that. I, I will say that one of the last things that I, I really like about the game, uh, it does have that kind of Genesis grit to it. You know, it, it's it, it's a kind of a kind of a dirty, gross game, yeah. right? I I will say that this was the one game that made me really look at all of the different filters that my emulator could apply to the visuals. Oh, okay. And I felt like I really had to play that with like whatever was the grainiest CRT filter. <laughs> Had like <laughs> excellent, mm-hmm. yeah. The, the the color didn't, you know. There was like, you know, uh, there's like, what is it? Like effects that I can't even remember the names of, but like basically like radiance and like the blur between the different like whatever you call them, the little points on the screen, right? Um, the pixels, right? Yeah, but though it's it's like the phosphor. It's like it, oh, it can oh, literally oh, right. simulate right. like the phosphor yes. being like kind of a little bit more grainy or whatever, and it feels so good. It feels like a really good way to play the game because even though with other games that I've played, I didn't like doing that because it kind of got in the way. The distinct visual style of this game is so clear, even when you've got like what is emulated as a forty-year-old CRT TV. It's just so gritty and grainy. I think that is a really good point. Well, and you say that I, I, I do think my favorite way to play this game was on the actual Genesis on a CRT. I mean, even the best CRT filter can't emulate exactly the feel of playing it on a CRT, but it it looks so fucking good. <laughs> like, it just looks so fucking good on, on a CRT. It's amazing. So, yeah, just overall, you know, as I said, I put in 20 hours into this game, and I have to say, I, I don't think I ever got good, quote-unquote, good at the game. After putting as much time as I did into it, every aspect of the, the gameplay here fits together like nothing nothing quite feels it all feels like it's balanced you know what i mean like you get into a rhythm with this game like you really do get into a zone with it it got to where interestingly enough like after i played it enough like you learn how to control the chaos like that's a huge part of getting better at the game is controlling the screen right you're controlling the gameplay and you're controlling like like you you prioritize what you kill do you have a rhythm to your gameplay and it the game actually gets a little bit methodical you know so it's like every screen your your head is just going through a series of calculations like now i need to go here now i need to do that now i need to use this weapon now i need to roll now i need to go over here it it all fits together like a puzzle so I, I would say one thing that really works for me about this game is just that aspect of it like it really does feel like it's uh, all aspects of gameplay are very well thought out to go together well. I I agree with that, but it's in this weird way where like the way that I would frame it is I remember when Legend of Zelda for the N64 came out. And one of the big taglines for that game was 40 hours of gameplay, 45 hours of gameplay. You will have 45 hours of just playing this game. 
the Xeno Crisis is a 40-hour game. Yeah, I believe that. Like, you do need to put in that 40 hours worth of time. And I think it's rewarding if you have 40 hours to give it. I don't know. I've only put in eight and I've stopped. <laughs> but I do believe you're true <laughs> in that, like, the way that all of these little pieces interact, it's not unfair, but it is a puzzle. You just figure it out. You do have to get good, scrub, get good, and put in those hours to to really appreciate all of the different ways that the controls work together, the different mechanics work together, the enemies can be contained, and control of the screen can be maintained, even when it's absolutely crazy. Well. I agree that it probably is a 40-hour game, but it's different. Like, if you're playing Legend of Zelda, you're not going on a run through the Deku tree 30 times and putting 15 <laughs> hours into just sure. that to try yep. to perfect it before you move on to something else, yep, you know? So. So let's, let's get to this. So in our notes, I always put, like, you know, we talk about, like, what works and what doesn't work. Under what doesn't work, I have, like, one big uh, item, <laughs> like, right at the top, and I, I put in all caps, the difficulty. <laughs> Guys, is this game too fucking hard? <laughs> yes. I, you know, <laughs> it's good. it's perfect for it's perfect for an arcade game. Like I said, if arcade game. I, yeah, you could pop I some quarters pumped, into this fucking I would have pumped so many quarters into this thing cuz you know, it gets to the point where it's like, oh, it's not beating me. I'm going to put in another quarter where I'm now I'm playing it at home. I'm like, ah, fuck it, it beat me. Yeah, I I think there's only one thing for me that really qualifies as being too hard, and that is if you use any continues whatsoever, you don't get the real ending. That is such a fucking... Oh, God! <laughs> you cannot... Okay, so the game gives you continues, all right? But if you use them, you cannot beat the game. You cannot get to the final boss. You you make it to the final boss, and uh, and this is a spoiler, you die, okay? it's it's That is a plot point. The little pills that you pop for the uh the continues are actually uh they're nanobots and they uh they will they will kill you that's a, so it's a trick to even on easy mode which is okay all of us played easy mode the game has an easy mode and a hard mode the easy mode is fucking hard as balls the you know the all i played was i i did try hard mode uh for a few hours and i stopped the 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 main difference between hard and easy mode the bosses are a lot harder in hard mode there's you know they shoot more bullets and things like that other enemies they shoot more bullets i it's just uh, yeah easy mode is hard as hell so as i said i put 20 hours into this game and i never made it to the final boss even using continues i had to use uh, save states you know on my everdrive just to see the game through to the end and what i found is I think I've got all the core gameplay down. It's just the execution. It's just putting it together. Because what I, I, I'll have like one bad level. I'll run into that goddamn level three, and it's like hitting a wall. Man, level three is the fucking worst. They, they, the, the worms, the sandworms. So frustrating. It's like, God damn it. You know, and then every other enemy in that level is a bullet sponge. And I've never gotten better than a, an E rank, which is the lowest rank on that level. It's, it's just... Ah, oh, every that is where my good runs go to die is level three. I, I Jesus Christ, Nick, you just hate like, that for, the, for all this episode. Like, we won't talk about the. Let's not talk about the difficulty. And you're like, I fucking hate. Level no, three. this is the part where we talk about the. I didn't want to because this is what would happen with the lizard episode. Like all we did was right. talk about how hard it was. That, no, this is the part where we talk about the difficulty, and I'm going to fucking unload on this goddamn game. All right, it's hard. <laughs> it is fucking hard. It's okay. 
here's a. You can't get the true ending unless you play it on hard mode with the testicle twisting application that you have to plug into the console. Yeah, see what you yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get the C when you get the complete box, it comes with an, an actual testicle crusher that you take out of the box and you put on your testicles, and it crushes your fucking testicles as you play the game. Because <laughs> oh, <laughs> Lord. No, no, no. Okay, so let me let me that's easy let me, mode. That's easy mode. <laughs> okay. The, the uh let me put let me put it this way okay so i one of the uh i i, I <laughs> as a as an old guy i i have rediscovered different genres yeah i've talked about this on the podcast before i really like beat em ups now which is weird because i never did but beat em ups and uh and shoot em ups so shmups right shooters you think uh the uh gradius life force um uh, you know or, or the bu- later bullet hell games stuff like that love those yeah Great, great kind of games, uh, and I have really gotten back into these. In fact, when we talk about our uh, what we're playing now, I, I just man, I, I just played this excellent uh, new cotton game on Switch. It's really good. So I joined a Discord lately that was uh, I've talked about. I may have mentioned Shmup Junkie, but I, I don't watch YouTube gamers. But this is one channel that I do watch, Shmup Junkie, and he and he's a big promoter of of shoot 'em ups, retro style, and modern stuff. Really, really fun channel. But uh, I joined his Discord, and the thing about shoot 'em up fans, okay, this is a genre that is known for being the games are hard. They're really hard. Every single like shoot 'em up games normally don't last for longer than thirty minutes, right? They're short games, so the gameplay comes in like learning the mechanics. Like you, you can you play them on easy mode, and you're like, oh, I can beat this. I, I know this game. But then you keep coming back and you do the gameplay loop over and over and over again. You might need to do it a hundred times before you really before you really get the game, right? And you can beat it on hard mode or you can beat it with one CC, you know, no continues. It it and it might take you 30 hours before you get to that point. But you know, the game is compelling enough that you can come back and you can do it again. And uh, a lot of the, so I joined the Discord and I thought it was really interesting that they, there's like a whole channel devoted to, I mean, it's, it's just people like giving each other pep talks, you know, because the games are so goddamn hard. <laughs> it's like, you know, they're, they're just, they're coaching each other on like how to play these games. And one thing I, I sent you guys uh, this in a text message, but it, people talk about like the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Oh, man. So you play these, so a Dunning-Kruger effect is this, 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 uh, concept in psychology where you when you're first introduced to a topic you think you're a genius like you think about you think about people who read that first wikipedia article about something right you read one wikipedia article you spend 20 minutes on it and you think you're a fucking genius and you know everything there is to know about it right this is like twitter this is twitter right i I see people all the time they'll read like one article about something and the next thing you know they're like lecturing some professor in that topic on you know, it's like you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I did like, my research. I did my research, right? So the yeah, this is the Dunning Kruger effect: is that in the beginning you have this like massive confidence that you know what you're talking about, but you're actually extremely ignorant, right? And as you learn more about the subject, you realize you don't have a, a any idea what the fuck you're talking about, and this you, this dawns on you, you right? And so your confidence in yourself goes down, and it, it, the more you learn the more you realize you don't really have a level of expertise in this subject. Your confidence sinks and it goes down and there's this, I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes, but yeah, you, you have this initial like huge peak in your confidence. This starts to go down and you have this, 
this long trough where, and it's called the Valley of Despair, where your confidence is at an absolute zero as you gain experience in this thing. And then after a while, you start to come out of this valley and, you know, you, you, uh, you, you get your confidence back because you have a level of expertise in this topic, but you put at that point like dozens of hours into this thing, you know, if not hundreds of hours into it. So where I am at with Xeno Crisis, I am in the middle of this fucking valley of despair. You too. All right. I got to a point with this game after 20 hours where I literally could not bring myself to play it anymore. <laughs> I was so fucking mad at the game all the time. I would play it and I f- it felt like work playing it for this podcast. Like I would I would throw it on and I would get this like sick feeling in my stomach like oh god, here we go again. <laughs> like, so glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> and uh, it's like you know, and every time I would have a p- fucking perfect run going right up until like level level 3. Or level four or level five. There would be like one level where I would just like, I would just get off my game and I would just, you know, I'd have like one bad screen. We were doing, we, we did a live stream of this game. You can find it on our YouTube channel, but you guys were watching me. Like (laughs) I had a perfect run going until like level three. And then I had one screen where I lost like five health, you know? And if you lose five health on one level, you're fucked. You're fucked. There's no way to come back from that. It's so rough, and because when you do that, when you lose just one health, it's so frustrating that it distracts you enough that your chances of losing another health on that exact same screen go up massively. Right, and that's exactly what happened to me. I'm watching the live stream, and I'm like cringing because I see it happen. Yep. You know, like my confidence in myself just fell through the floor, and I then I got hit again and again and again, and just like stupid mistakes. But I just, I got off my game. I lost that flow, right? And the difference between this and something like a shoot 'em up is with a shoot 'em up, you're learning patterns. You know, the, in a shoot 'em up, the, the game is the same every time you play it. You're always going to confront this wave of enemies and they're going to come out of this side of the screen in this way. And so, oh, I got to switch to this weapon and position myself in this part of the screen. Or like this boss is weak against this kind of attack, so I need to get to this part of the screen and do this. You know, you learn that stuff. Every time that you play, you get a little bit better at the game because your knowledge expands just a little bit more and you can get a little bit farther. This game, I maybe it's the randomness element. Maybe, but I don't know. I just felt like I was never confident with the game. It, you know, this is why I don't like roguelikes either. The only roguelike I've ever liked is... is um, is Hades. And that's because every time you play the game, you get stronger and and you don't, the randomness there doesn't, I don't know. I mean, maybe, it, maybe it's the randomness. I don't know what it is, but that, that's what, that's what differentiates it from a shmup in my eyes and why I felt like I was never, I never got the confidence I needed to get further with the game. And maybe I need to put in another five or 10 hours and I'll get out of that valley of despair. I don't know. But at this point, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I have got to take a break from this game. Maybe I'll come back to it someday. But I, man, I just, I had to put it down and just walk away. I was just so done with it. It was, I, I just, ugh. This game should be renamed Dunning-Kruger Crisis. And <laughs> Crisis. like, you can replace everything you just said. Your entire story is my story, but replace the word level with screen. <laughs> Okay. Right. <laughs> Fucking right. terrible at this game. So screen terrible. by screen. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. No. I, I've 
I made it to level three one time. Um, I, I just, think that's pretty good, dude. Oh man, yeah. That, I think making um, it to level three is an achievement. Whatever that, that that thing at the end of level two, like we called it the Bone Hydra when we were playing online because it does. It does no, Bone Hydra is from Hades. Yeah, it's from Hades, but it looks viper, like it. some kind of viper, yeah. Death Viper. That's Death what Viper is. is what it's called. Yeah. Um, and then I just decided for the hell of it to watch watch a uh, playthrough. And I, I still it's a <laughs> it's I, oh dude, I'll send you a link to a guy that plays it. Please do. Yeah, uh, it's a no hit. It's so painful. It's a no hit playthrough. He gets no an hit S, playthrough. An S on every single level, and like. When he got to Cthulhu at the end of, I guess, level four, I was just like, oh, I even turned I even turned the walkthrough off. (laughs) I I did not watch a walkthrough because I like one of those no death runs because I was afraid it would just piss me off. That's what I probably should have because I probably would have gotten better tips on how to play the game. But I, I was just too intimidated to do it. Maybe. Okay. Uh, some other stuff, the, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I've got in my notes here, the game does start to feel a little repetitive. I, I got to tell you, Area 3 just sucks. It just sucks shit. I hate that level so much. It is the only level in the game that does not have a boss. They just throw continual enemies at you. And every time, the pacing of the game hits a wall when it gets to level 3. I fucking hate that level. It's just, you know, it just... it. I don't know, man. It just doesn't work for me at all. I will say, it is a little bit better... I did notice there is a difference between the the version of the game on Switch, which is the only other version that I played, and the the one on Genesis. So the Genesis ROM had a copyright of 2019. The the Switch had a copyright of 2018. So maybe there was a, a change there. But the the uh, level three on the Genesis is it, it felt different. I don't know for some reason the um, there are more snakes, but they're a lot easier to kill, and the um, now the little the little guys that like shoot the gas bullets at you like they don't they shoot a lot slower so they show up and they don't shoot at you at all uh, for like a, a full like three or four seconds and you can run over and kill them and they won't even shoot at you so and also like the Genesis the Genesis uh, version if you play on easy you get an extra health bar so you get five instead of four a little bit easier I don't maybe that's to compensate for the clumpy clunky controls I don't know but. I got to where they, I felt like the Genesis version was the definitive version. That's what I felt like. Just slightly different enough that I, I preferred it, that I, I could discern there was a difference enough to prefer one or the other. Okay. So uh, we can step outside the podcast for a second because of something you just said. You looked at the, all right, correct me if I'm wrong. You said you looked at the copyright on the Switch was 2018? Yes. And the copyright on the Genesis is 2019. Yeah. Okay, so that would mean that the game was made for the Switch before it was made for the Genesis. So doesn't that officially make this an indie game and not a homebrew? No. So the uh, I think the Genesis version was an updated version. I think it was like patched or something like that. It was because okay, I, okay. I mean you know as they released like different versions you know as time goes on. But yeah. no, it was originally developed for the Genesis. Okay, because it just does not feel like. A, a homebrew game to to me. I don't know. I always just had an indie game feel to it. It's like playing Bro Force or you know another one of those kind of games. But right. So that's our next stepping out. That's our next. I've got that on our notes. Like that's our next yeah. topic. Let's take a quick break here. We're going to listen to some f- uh, fantastic music here from Xeno Crisis. We're going to take a short break. We're going to be back with our final thoughts on Xeno Crisis.
now that he's gone, tell me what you really think about the game. Okay, you honestly want to know? Yeah. You'll find this in the recording, and he's going to be yeah. like, I don't know what he's going to think. I really like the game. I really do like yeah. the game. Yeah. But I, I found it super difficult. And it actually made me feel like a child. And when I was a child playing a video game, and I don't know how to beat it, what do you do? I turn it off. No, no. Old school. What's your old school solution to like, I've got a video oh. game that I really want to play? Ask an older brother or cousin how to beat it. <laughs> older brother, or you, or or you read up the magazine, you find some cheats. Yeah. yeah, this game has cheats. Oh, it does. This game has cheats. Oh, see, I never even there's, thought to look for cheats. There's an infinite lives cheat and an infinite ammo cheat. Ah, yeah. Oh my god, why did I not even think of that? That's fucking brilliant. Right. Uh, I don't know, yeah. maybe because I was trying to play through this thing. I'm like, uh, right, right. the Homebrew Game Club, let's play this in a pure. And, yeah. No, fuck that. <laughs> no, I, all I, right, I gave up on that, give me the right? cheats all the day last, long. The, the last 35 minutes of my eight hours were yeah. just fucking sm- just crushing this game. Just like, I want to <laughs> see what the end is. And yeah. even if you do that, you have to do an extra special cheat if you want to fight the final boss. Because like Nick was saying, it basically thinks that you were using continues. So I had to do that. And that last boss, I will tell you right now, is fucking impossible. Like, oh. I have infinite lives, and I have no fucking clue how you're supposed to beat that. Like, wow. I, I, I beat it, but, like, if I did not have infinite lives, I'm just like, that would take me months of grinding to get to. And so at the end of the day, it's a really good game, but I, I don't really think it's worth it because I finished the game, and I still am like, wow, that was really fucking hard. It was just too hard, man. As a as a grown ass man, I don't have the time to put in to make this happen. I'm sorry, and and as much as I would love to, and I really want to get right. good at the game and beat it or whatever, um, I can't believe I never even thought to look and see if there were yeah. chances. No, this, no, that's it. They actually have. Like I said, you know, homebrew game club, we got to do this right. And like, you know, so I never thought to do that. But that's why I didn't mention it to Nick, right? Because it's like, yeah, we're doing this as the homebrew game club. And I didn't want to mention any of that as part of my review. Right. But for real, yeah, I fucking I smoked the game using the cheats. And <laughs> so you should check it out just to like have a little bit of closure on this game. I think it's worth just like standing there with all those enemies shooting you and being like, fuck you. Yeah. So you can just become a bullet sponge and never die, or do you just keep dying and never die, never die? That's awesome. (laughs) You feel like God. I mean, after playing it for as long as you have, yeah, like you're gonna play it. You're gonna turn on the cheat. You're gonna play, and you're like, I am a king. I am a golden god. god. (laughs) Oh my god. Anyways, that. but uh, toasted ravioli that we had the other night. Was, yeah, uh, I don't know about the toasted ravs. Mm, I mean, I like them a lot. But. Man, I've got to tell you, like <laughs> this game just this game just gets me worked up, man. Like <laughs> it's it's so fucking intense. It's way intense. like I'm 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 kind of like I'm kind of like I'm I'm a little bit like like shaking here, you know, like just ugh. I was shaking right before we got on. I was Were you? like, oh, yeah, the first thing I was going to say right when we got on was words can't describe how much I fucking hate this game. And Aww. then I listened to you guys talk about it. And I, I, I've softened on it a little bit, but because it was yeah. mean to you. It was a mean it, game. Oh, just, this game is so fucking mean. And I was telling it's Connor mean, on the break while you, while you were out taking a shit or whatever you were doing <laughs> um, that 
I am a grown ass man and I just don't have the time to put in to this kind of thing to, to, to get as good as I need to get for it to not kick my ass continually. And that's the part that was pissing me off so much is that I don't have the time to play a video game that much. <laughs> well, you, but you do. I mean, you put, didn't you put like 50 hours in horizon zero dawn? Um, yeah. Difference is that horizon zero dawn was fun. See, that's what I'm getting at. You do have the time. You don't yeah, want to because true. it's not, it's not this, this kind of thing is not fun for you. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll give you that. I do. I, okay. <laughs> I do not like this game at all. Honestly. Well, I, so I can say I put, I put, as I said, I put 20 hours into it and I got to a point where I literally could not play the game anymore because I was, I was getting like really mad at it, you yeah. know, because I was, I'm in that valley of despair where I don't, I just keep playing it. I, the last, like, I, out of the 20 hours I played, out of the last, like, five or six, seven, eight, I don't feel like I've gotten any better at the game. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if I don't feel like I'm getting better at a game, I can't motivate myself to keep, keep playing it, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and I was also starting to hate it so much while I was playing it that I was afraid that, I was going to start hating a twin stick shooter <laughs> and it would, it would leak back into Robotron. So I was like, I got, I got to back away from this for a little bit because I'm, I, like I said earlier, I'm currently on the hunt for a Robotron arcade cabinet. Like you have opened my eyes, sir, in the last <laughs> year and I want it. That's like my Holy grail right now is uh, see the, the difference between a game like this and a game like Robotron is Robotron has no other point except to kick your ass. So you, you know, when you go into it, you know what you're getting. You know, it's, it's like yeah. I'm all I'm just beating my own personal high score. Right? That's all I want. Yep. I'm just I just want to be number one on that Robotron Heroes map. You know, the the list of uh, Robotron mm-hmm. Heroes. I put my initials on there. Yeah. And I want to keep driving that score up and up and up. Yeah. Well, I can say so. Comp- again, I compare this to Smash TV, which I think is the single game that it, that, that this is the best analog to uh, Smash TV. I, I'm decent at Smash TV and I've spent you know, a week or two at a time playing Smash TV and, and trying to get good at it and with the same kind of regiment. And with Smash TV, I always felt like I, because it's the same sequence, you know, you go to a new room, you're always going to get a, a sequence of enemies in Smash TV. You, you, okay, this is the room where I've got the little guys walking around the edges that blow up into shrapnel, okay? Right. Or this is the room where I've got the... Um, I don't know, the little snake things come out or something like that. I mean, it's like you you always know what's coming next and you can prepare for it. Whereas in, in this game, I just there's just enough randomness that it throws me off. I think that's my problem with it, you know, mm-hmm. like ultimately. Uh, so one last question that I, I want to talk about here. Uh, Bart, you've kind of alluded to it before, and, and we had a, a short conversation going on this as we were playing the game. Is this a homebrew game? Like for reals, because Super Nintendo and Genesis games are in this kind of uncanny valley where I think a, a modern, uh, somebody who plays modern indie games, if if they've never played like a Super Nintendo game, you know, somebody in their 20s and they're like, oh, I love, I love Super Nintendo graphics. I love that style of game. They've only ever played, though, modern games that look like that, mm-hmm. you know, and then they go back and they might play an actual Super Nintendo game. And it's janky. It feels janky because it doesn't feel like a modern game. It's there's just something about it that just doesn't quite click. It's not 
it's not technically able to do the things that a modern game does. And it feels like it's in some kind of uncanny valley where it's it's not really not really a modern indie game. I think Xenocrisis sails right through that valley and comes out the other side. I feel like I can't I can't uh, participate in this conversation because I don't have the experience in playing Sega Genesis games to know what feels okay. like a Sega Genesis game. To me, it feels 100% like every other like indie game that's trying to be indie retro game. out right. there. So I'm going to back away from this discussion because I totally think it feels like an indie game and not a homebrew game. But that might be because I don't have the experience with the Sega Genesis. Well, I I mean, I do. And I, I think it just... it. Like I, I've I've played a, at this point quite a few Sega Genesis games, and every single one of them, even like something like Gunstar Heroes, like we were talking about, it it looks dated, you know, and it feels a little clunky. Like it just doesn't feel quite right. But this game, this game feels like a modern indie game that was ported to the Genesis, not vice versa. I mean, it was originally designed for the Genesis, but it doesn't feel like it. You know what I mean? And I can't think of a single NES game I've played that feels that way. It it just uh, I don't I and I say that as a as a compliment. Like it is a real achievement right. to, you know, it's like it's like I said with the music. It just feels like I, when I'm playing this game, sometimes I look down at the Genesis and I'm like, how is this coming out of that console? Like this is this thing is not supposed to be able to do this kind of stuff. Like it, that's how good it it plays to me, you know. But is it like a real homebrew game? You know, uh, and that pains me to even beg the question that if this game is so good and it was designed for the Sega Genesis, is this pants-shittingly difficult game the best homebrew game? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's so well made. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, like, is it the best homebrew on the Genesis? Maybe I don't know enough right. about Genesis homebrew to say that. But me either. But it's if it's if it is, it's certainly the best homebrew Genesis game, homebrew that I've played. Like, it's really fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. Connor, what were you going to say? I mean, I think just to your point about like, it's such a good kind of, I want to like phrase what you said correctly. It's, it, it feels like an indie game that was ported to the Mega Drive instead of a game that was made for the Mega Drive as a homebrew game. Right. So I think one of the things that works in the favor of the game because of that is that it is a very constrained game. Like we've talked about, it's screen by screen. Right, yeah. A lot of things that go on in games that make it seem dated are effects that we know we just do better now. A really simple example is Parallax, right? So a whole bunch of games that were actually made at that time get Parallax wrong. Um, And now it's just like the simplest thing. You can have like fucking six, seven layers of Parallax going on behind a character scrolling. That would never have been possible in the 16-bit era, that would have just been way too much, especially for the Mega Drive. So, like, when you see the Mega Drive and, like, there's more than one layer of, like, background moving in Parallax, that was, like, really, really hard, but it probably looks kind of janky today. There's no Parallax ever <laughs> in Xeno Crisis. There's no visual <laughs> effect. True. That can, that can actually manifest as being dated with the exception of maybe the animations, but then we just said, like, they take such care in the animations, and each of the, like, you can imagine each frame of those animations was just, like, labored over, loved over, poured over, given all the kind of care it needed. So... Are you talking about really, the cutscenes, or...? The cutscenes are all... I don't think there's any anim- animations. That I think they're all them. just... Yeah, they're just like still images. Yeah, right? okay. Yeah. All right. And, the, you know, the boss fights as well, as we were saying. But, like, because it's, like, a single plane of vision, 
I think the thing that strikes me as being really amazing for the Mega Drive is just how many how many sprites you can have on the screen and that there's no flicker. I think that's probably the thing that I would probably yeah, want to right. be the most interested in. Like, how did they do that? Because that seems like it's really tough to do. But I guess it's some trick that they were able to use based on the fact that there's nothing else moving on the screen. Like, literally nothing else on the screen is moving except for you and these characters. Well, there's um, never any slowdown. Yeah. I don't recall it ever getting to a point where it was just, it like, there was any kind of lag at all. Yeah, exactly. I guess I would, like, I would say it's a homebrew game in that it was developed for the Mega Drive. I think with the fullness of 30 years of technology and skills that are in terms of how to make a game, you're making a game for the Mega Drive now with the benefit of hindsight and you're, you're, you know, rose-tinted glasses looking into the background, like you know exactly how to do everything right. Sure. And it's almost like an unfair advantage because you can do things that people really who are working on it professionally in the day probably would never have had the chance to see. Yeah, but I mean, I... I... You say that, but I, I haven't seen another homebrew Mega Drive game that comes anywhere close to this level of, of ability. I mean, it, it, is, it just really stands head and shoulders above anything else I've played. At Divertov on Twitter, Mega Drive games that are even better than Xeno Crisis. Yeah, please, please shoot them at me, yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, is this a homebrew game? I, I think obviously it is because it was originally designed for the console. But, you know, I, I think it is important to note that Bitmap Bureau, the game that they just released is Final Vendetta. As I said, it's a retro-style beat-em-up. It is not a Genesis game. It's just Genesis, well, it's Mega Drive-inspired. They didn't design a homebrew game this time. They designed an indie game with a with a retro style. I would be curious to see if they, maybe they decide to port this one back to the Genesis. That's interesting. I would love to play that game because, and I and I need to play it with you guys because as far as beat-em-ups are concerned, I I do not like playing them by myself. Like when we sat down and played Street to Rage 4 together, that was some of the most fun I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, that's a... You know what I mean? It's, it's an amazing game, but then I tried to play it by myself, and I was like, ugh, no. Like, it just... It's like going to the arcade and playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by yourself. No, I, I need my other three turtles with me, and it's <laughs> infinitely more fun, you know? You know, there's a new... Uh... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out. Oh yeah, by these same by it's by the Streets of Rage guys. Yeah, and, and it I has up to uh, up to six simultaneous. So yeah, uh, Connor, you got to get one of these, and we're we're all gonna yeah. play it when you're over it in the UK. Good. We can all play it online. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. So I, well, <laughs> so guess what? The so this Final Vendetta, this this new Bitmap Bureau game. I'm reading the reviews for it. Guess what? The number one criticism is too hard. Too hard. Yeah. Great. <laughs> one one credit. You don't get any continues. Oh Lord. It's a beat 'em up and there's no continues. Unfucking believable. Wow. In 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 twenty twenty two that you would release a beat 'em up with no continues. That is just brutal. Holy shit. Oh, okay. Oh so God. yeah. Um for the record, uh Tree Rosmos and Jordan Davis off our Discord said that uh yeah, they think this is a disc a uh, a homebrew game. <laughs> Tree Rosmo says he doesn't like the game enough to get good at it, but it's so pretty and it's so polished and the music, uh, crying face emoji. Uh, yeah, Jordan Davis says, uh, Raft or Not feels more like a collectathon than the OG Robotron style. So that's kind of interesting. You know, the there is a definite like collectathon aspect to it because you have to pick up those dog tags. That is very important to get through the game. You have to level up and you level up by picking up dog tags. And if you do not pick up enough dog tags, 
you will be at a real disadvantage when you go to the next level. So that is like an incentive to go to the, like the side corridors and some of these levels that you don't have to go to just so you can pick up dog tags. So yeah, that that is a that's an aspect that like Smash TV doesn't have. Yeah, he says if this were in an arcade, he can see himself getting sucked in. Oh, me too. Yeah, I totally agree. The mm-hmm. difficulty curve and the limited continues give him nightmares. <laughs> yeah. I think that was part of my ladder of frustrations when I was talking about my experience with playing the game because first of all it was the controls I had a real hard time with the Mega Drive controls so I thought to myself okay screw it I'm going to get the PlayStation version so I can actually play it as twin a twin stick, st- a twin right. stick right so then I get on there and the the difficulty was was crazy for me because it was the whole limited the limited ammo thing that I talked about I, I would just would keep running out of ammo and not really using the the dash or the roll to my advantage. And then whenever you were like, oh, you can just walk right. through the player and kill him. I was like, oh, okay, let me try that again. And then the whole uh, game over and like, don't use the, the, <laughs> the continues. Uh, it's uh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's the one sound sample that I could be like, I'm okay. I don't need that. So our, our kind of final thoughts on the game. I think I just... <laughs> Just, yeah, you kind of you kind of just gave yours, yeah. Connor. Connor, what are your kind of final thoughts? Exceptional game for the Mega Drive that redefines what you think can be done with the console at the expense of a Sisyphean task of difficulty. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I can't top that. That's uh, I think you I think you nailed it right there. It yeah. Kicks your ass. I let me put it this way. So I so I have a. You guys know these like mini consoles that have been like a huge craze over the last few years. Bart, you got a you got an NES mini, didn't you? Yeah, I got an NES mini. I got a SNES mini. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I so I got the SNES mini. I got the Turbo Graphics mini, which is not really a mini. Actually, it's fucking huge. It's almost the size of an actual Turbo Graphics. Massive. Nice. Um, but I my favorite mini console is honestly I got a I got a Genesis mini. They're really easy to hack. So you can put more games on it. Mm. So they only come with, you know, it's got like 40 games, I think, is the default, something like that. And it's they did a pretty good job of picking games that were kind of representative of the console. But there were quite a few that that I felt like really needed to be on there that were left off. There's like I really like shoot 'em ups, right? And so th- there's a ton of like excellent shoot 'em ups on the Genesis, and I really wanted to put those on there. So I went in and I, I hacked the thing and I put some more games on there. There's a very small amount of memory on the Genesis Mini on the Genesis mini. So you can only put like an extra, like 40 games, 40 or 50 games before you use up all the memory on, on the, uh, on this tiny console. And there's other stuff you can hack it. You can put like another, I think like an SD card. I didn't want to fuck with that shit, but it's just, you know, I wanted to use it with what I got. I just wanted it to be better representative of my experience with the console. Okay. So I hacked it. I put another 40 games on it. Something like that. There's like a total of like, I think about 80 games on it. I was looking at that thing the other day. I got it down and I pulled it out and I hooked it up and I was looking at the games and I'm like, why the fuck isn't Xeno Crisis on here? Now that I look at the Genesis, like Xeno Crisis is in the pantheon of games that I consider are among the best for that console. Like it's, it's already in my head as I've got to have that on there. Yeah. Yeah. You got Altered Beast. You've got all the Sonic games. You got Streets of Rage. You got to have Xeno Crisis on there. Yeah. It is that fucking good. 
Like it's it's just part of the experience of playing that console. You need to have this game on there. I don't have anything to disagree on that. I really like that idea. You're not a true Genesis fan unless you've gotten your ass kicked by Xeno Crisis. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but you know, I'm like if you're if you're gonna you know if you're gonna try to pick some games that have a a broad view of like the best that's on the console i think this has got to be in that conversation i i, I think that it's got to be in there okay you know that is that is huge praise for any homebrew any kind of aftermarket game and i think this is this is one of those types of games that's that good i just think it's really fucking hard and it is it's so fucking hard that i i kind of hit a wall with my enjoyment of it but it's it's just an amazing technical achievement and it's so well made and I just, uh, I wish it was a little bit easier. I wish it had like a real easy mode instead of that like fake mean fucking easy mode. You know, I just, oh my God. Anyway, that's all I've got to say about this game. Are we done? I think so. All right. I think so. Homebrew news, you guys. News about the homebrew scene. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Sean Robinson, Scrobbins, and his uh, blog post on VGS. He did a massive blog post on the state of homebrew 2022. This was based on some survey responses that that he got from homebrewers in the community. I, I uh, he actually invited me to do it, uh, um, like anybody else uh, that uh, who was on some of these discords with him. I I did not do it because it was all short answer, and I I actually completely forgot. I forgot to fill out the short answers, but uh, he he actually takes quotes from these like short answer surveys and peppers them throughout this massive blog post. So it is a, the state of homebrew 2022, it is, it is mostly NES focused. So if you kind of want to get an update on what the homebrew scene looks like for that console, that is a great blog post to get an overview with. Uh, he does touch on some other consoles, particularly Game Boy. Uh, and GB Studio and all that stuff, but it is it is very NES focused. But it, I cannot recommend that blog post enough. We will put a link to it in our show notes. It is on Video Game Sage. You can go read it right now. I once again, I'm going to jump. Invite everybody to jump on our Discord. So I added a section. <laughs> I, the section is a uh, Ask the Podcast, and you can you can ask us anything. You can get on there. You can any any. Uh, any questions you want to throw at us that are homebrew related or not. So I put this thing up and immediately the the questions that we got were all focused on St. Louis food. So if you listen to this podcast, you know we are broadcasting from St. Louis, Missouri. And for some reason I can't quite explain when I when I asked our uh, audience on Discord to give us uh questions, they were all about the um the pizza and barbecue that we have in St. Louis, Missouri. So we we are going to do a, a a short uh discussion of that topic in our next podcast i think uh so if you have any other questions that you'd like to ask us you can get on our discord there is a link to that at, at homebrewgameclub.com uh do we have anything else to talk about or are we fading you guys want to go to bed i don't think there's anything else to talk about i was going to go play some xeno crisis so we can get off of here you want to go play some xeno crisis yeah okay so, uh, our next game for the Homebrew Game Club, we actually put some thought into it this time. We didn't, uh, <laughs> we didn't decide five, <laughs> five minutes before we announced it. Our next game club game is Alfonso's Arctic Adventure for the NES. Funny backstory to this game. This game has been uh, perpetually 
our next game. And it, we always change it at the last minute. It was going to be our first game. Because something comes up. It was going to be, well, the first, yeah, okay, we did briefly talk about doing it for the first game. That's right. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to do Lizard. <laughs> the, uh, and then, so we did Lizard, so this is going to be our second game. But then you guys wanted to do a scary game, because when we were recording Lizard, it was Halloween. That's true. So we yeah. then we bumped it, and then we did Witch and Wiz, which was a puzzle game. And so we're like, well, we can't do pu- two puzzle games. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, this this game has been perpetually the uh, the other game that we were going to do. So we all played it a year ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so we're all going to go back and play it again. Uh, it is Alfonso's Arctic Adventure. It is a puzzle platformer with the emphasis here on platformer. So the, uh, you know, whereas Witch and Wiz was much more of a puzzle game. This is really, this is like 80% platformer and 20% puzzle. You know, whereas Witch, Witch and Wiz was more like 90% puzzle and 10% platformer. Mm-hmm. Lots of action here, action platforming. So you can get the ROM for $5 on itch.io. There is also a free demo available, so you don't have to spend uh, the five bucks. Um, although, I mean, it is just five bucks. You know, for a pretty, pretty fucking good game. So it's also available on Switch, Xbox, and Steam for $5. The ports were all published by Limited Run Games. We will be playing this on NES and Switch. It is a sequel to another puzzle platformer called Eskimo Bob, also for NES, and that is available on itch.io for $3. So that's another one to pick up. I'm going to talk a little bit about Eskimo Bob because I don't know about the two of you guys, but I did play through about half of that. I'm probably going to try to finish it before we do Alfonso. Uh, They are a very interesting contrast because I think Eskimo Bob almost plays as like a prototype of Alfonso, but it's, it's its own game. Very, very interesting kind of contrasts there. Do you guys have anything you want to say about this before we uh, go into our outro here? Well, I, I did just uh, Google. It uh, looks like there's a Xeno Crisis 2. Maybe we should play that instead. Of, wait, there uh, is? Alphon- oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, no, I read it wrong. It says Xeno Crisis too hard. Sorry. <laughs> too, <laughs> too hard for me. Yeah, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> okay, Alfonso, that is. All right. All right. I'm going to that that episode i think that's going to be a long time coming we've got a lot of conversations already built up about that that's true well because that's like what happened is every month i would like come up with a new conversation oh i want to talk about that and then like we would push it off again so yeah i've got all kinds of shit i want to say about alfonso this is going to be a fun episode guys yeah everybody go play this fucking game because we got a lot to say about it all right okay okay this has been the homebrew game club podcast you can find links to our Discord, back episodes of the show, or other social media at homebrewgameclub.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at HBGameClub. If you like the show, please help us out by leaving us a review on iTunes or Spotify, or by telling all of your retro gaming friends about our podcast. If you have comments or a suggestion for a game that you'd like to hear us talk about, shoot us a message on social media, or you can email us at homebrewgameclub at gmail.com. Our opening music is by Twee. You can find him on Twitter at TUI2A03, where you can also find a link to his SoundCloud. Our outro music is by Jordan Davis, Raftronaut. You can find him on Twitter at 0000Jordan. You can follow me, Nick, on Twitter, Instagram, or Video Game Sage at DVertov. That's D V E R T O V. Bart, 
is on Instagram as clever username needed, no spaces. And Connor is on Twitter at C-O-N-O-R-N-A-S-H, also no spaces. Tune in next time to the Homebrew Game Club when we will be talking about Alfonso's Arctic Adventure. Thank you for listening. I think it would be hilarious if we made a, a video game cabinet for Xeno Crisis and we somehow worked the power glove into the coin door. Like when you go up to play it, the coin door opens and the power glove comes out and grabs you by the nuts <laughs> while, while you're playing. <laughs> Just make a video about it to put up on online. If any of Could us do, anybody that in some way to have like extra just, difficult, extra hard. Yeah, just somehow like put the with visual effects, make a Xeno Crisis cabinet out of some other yeah. arcade cabinet. Just make the video, you know, where it just comes out and grabs you by the balls. See, that's a this is going to be a new. Uh, I think this should be a new podcast trope uh, for us. Uh, this is a nut crushingly difficult game, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a, it's Xeno Crisis difficult. Xeno you can just see those level. nuts getting crunched. <laughs> you just need to make a Xeno Crisis themed nut cruncher attachment that you use for any system. And just be like, if you want to play it on hard <laughs> mode, you can use the Xeno Crisis Nut Cruncher. Yeah. Oh right. My God. Yeah. Yep.